Wow. We have a team of about 10 men over in Guatemala right now. Whoop, whoop. And I will tell you what we have been praying for the last few weeks. You remember we prayed for the election in Guatemala. And then last year, last, last, year, last week we declared and, and reminded what we prayed over the nation of Guatemala. And then the Lord sends 10 men from this little, powerful, dunamis church. And he has placed them with some of the most influential men in Guatemala. Only God can do this. Only God can gather them into a quiet place. to encounter his presence, to know his heart, to be healed as men, to be strengthened as men, to be equipped as men, to be sent as men, to be loved on as fathers, to be loved on as sons, as husbands. But I stand in awe of what the Lord is doing you know, God said this, he said, he said, he actually said it to Jesus, and he said, ask and I will give you the nations, right? But he's saying to you, ask and I will give you the nations. And I, I, I remember him telling me, ask, ask. And so I'm writing on my big old wall at home, ask him for the nations. And then he says, I am giving you Central and South America. And I'm seeing it come to pass. And I don't believe that that's just a me thing, a Lisa thing. I think that is this body of Christ that is growing. And the Lord is saying, I am going to give you influence. I am going to give you insight and wisdom over these nations so that you can usher in my kingdom. You see, the end game is Revelation 11.11. No, sorry, 11.15. I know, you were getting excited about 11.11 right there. Um, the end game is this. If you're wondering, where, where are we going in life? What is our goal? The goal is Revelation 11.15, and that is this, that the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will then reign forever and eternity. And what we're seeing right now, as we prayed a couple weeks ago, and said, Lord, even as in the beginning, when, that when, when God spoke, right? And he said, let there be light. And as soon as he said that light burst forth, we said, may it be, may it be so. Yes, baby. What? A big spider. A big spider. Okay, go to class. Thank you. Um, let it be so that as you speak, let there be light. Because his word is so powerful, and in the beginning is the word. We learned that last week, right? But as he would announce it, it would happen. That's how powerful his voice is. And, that, and then we talked about God laughs at the plans of the enemy. He actually mocks them. But then he arises in his fierceness and his fiery anger, and he settles the issue. See, the world is trying to come up with this plan to dismantle, to separate family, to take down nations, to get their leaders to um, 
to get their leaders to partner with evil, right, and bring in the, the kingdom of this world's uh, ideology and that. But the Lord is saying, enough is enough. And I have seen the Lord just in this last week, I just stand in awe when I'm getting the praise reports of finding out who is at this retreat. I call it a retreat. John would not, not be very happy with that. All right, but I didn't want to call it an event. All right, this band of brothers. All right, the who, you know, the men become men. Uh, at, at this band of brothers, um, the Lord is gathering the leaders of a nation to transform a nation. And that's what he's all about. And so um, we are all about taking back ground. It doesn't matter how impossible it looks. I mean, literally, we had two options three weeks ago. A witch or a, or a uh, like a, a communist, somebody, you know, that, those were the options <laughs> in the voting poll. But I want to tell you, I've seen behind the scenes, and he has another plan. Not because I'm special, but because I've watched who he's aligning and who he's bringing in. When we, he's putting somebody in power, in greater power than even the president, that loves Jesus. Amen? So good. Whew. So last week we talked about this is the house of God. This is the house of God. We each have, the, because of the Lord, we have access to heaven, Right? We, have, we, we each have an open heaven. We have a ladder that surely he is in this place. And so even as we go in this morning, I felt like, I felt like the Lord was saying, that he's always here, we know that, right? But the king is in the room. And I feel like there's a grace this morning. So even if you don't hear a thing that I say and you get lost in his wonder, you get lost in trying to find his face, I really feel like there is a grace to acknowledge him in the room. So I want us all just to stand for a minute. I know Liz kind of started out that way, but if you can, just stand. And I just want you to close your eyes. I just want you to take a deep breath in. And in the cries of your heart, say, Jesus, I just want to see you. I want to know you. I want to experience you in greater measure. Lord, I don't want to hear about you. I want to feel your tangible touch. I want to know before anybody tells me that you're in the room. I want to feel when I'm worshiping the sweetness of your angels flying through the room. I want to feel the sweetness of your affection as your throne comes down. <laughs> as your throne comes down and inhabits our praises. Lord, you are not black ink on a white page. And I refuse to run through life not being aware 
of your presence. So I ask you to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, it is crazy. You guys can sit down. Uh, it is crazy how uh, I do not talk to the worship team and then they sing songs about what we're going to talk about. For one, they, said, they sing about uh, the goodness in the land of the living. So I just want you to remember that fact. And then the one thing, the one thing that I asked, Lord, right? They, they just sang about those two things and his presence. We're going to look at Psalms 27 today. Uh, and so Psalms 27 is this. It's actually an exuberant declaration of fearless faith. It's one of confidence, one of intimacy. It's one of recognizing your position or positioning yourself in, to purpose to encounter him, to find his face. It's a declaration of triumph, of worship, of focus, and of trust. It's actually a journey of knowing and waiting and finding his face. I love that. It's a place of positioning ourselves in such a way that we would find ourselves in awe and wonder. That we would experience his delight and his glory. That we would be infused with his grace. You see, this Psalms is going to show us how to intertwine our hearts with his. Many believe that this psalm was, you need to understand where it was written as we go into it and what, he, what he's saying. But this psalm was, they believe, was written actually in the midst of war, in the midst of devastation, in the midst of cruelty, us, uh, just the horrors of war, the brutality of war. So you need to, you need to picture da where David is in the midst of this. This is where he's writing this from. This is where he's crying out from. He's surrounded by trouble and violence. He's pursued by evil, by slanderous enemies who are lying in wait to pounce on him, right? He's, he's in the midst of what we would think of deep darkness. Right now, we're not living in a war zone in the natural, but I want to I challenge you that I believe that we are living in a war zone in the spiritual realm, which is way more crazy than we can even imagine. So it's in this place, in the deep darkness, where many of us, Maybe we're in a hard situation. Maybe we could imagine where David is at in this point when he's writing this psalm. And it would kind of be that day that it all would seem hopeless. It's like, what else, Lord? What else? What else could happen? Because it is all coming at me from every direction. It's that curl up and hide. Like, I can't move. I don't want to go on. I can't function in this. I can't see in this. I can't breathe in this. It's kind of that kind of a moment. And yet, this is what David declares as he opens up the psalm. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? In the midst of all of that, his cry and his opening of this psalm, of this song, 
is the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Whom shall I fear is what he's saying. Whom shall I fear? I want to ask you this. Where is he? He's in the midst of war. Everything is going, can you imagine bombs going off, grenades going off, shrapnel flying, the, the smoke of the explosion, the smell of the bullets, the smell of the gunpowder, the echoing. If you think you can't hear during war, it's so loud, everything just starts to ring. And you can't hear in the natural. And yet David, in the midst of that, where are his eyes? Where is his focus? What is his source? And who is his strength? He says, the Lord is my light. See, I may not be able to see in the midst of a hard situation, in the midst of the unknown, or in the midst of chaos, in the midst of deep darkness. But it's like that moment where God laughs at the plans of the enemy. And then in the next breath, he settles the issue. Right? David's like, it doesn't matter what's happening in front of me, around me, behind me. It doesn't matter because my God, my source is light. He is the one who will rescue me. He will save me. He will redeem me and he will deliver me. He said, in the Passion Translation, it actually says, it says, the Lord is my, revela- is my revelation light. Remember, we talked about this last week with some of the light in John 1, 4, and 5, and it was talking about Jesus. Remember Jesus having his very life is light for others, and inside of him, is, it says that his life is light for humanity. It also talks about how he had a fountain of life within him. But it says, in verse 5, it says, And this light never fails to shine through darkness. Light that darkness could never overcome. Remember, we talked about that. Remember, this light will never be able to control, or sorry, this darkness will never be able to control, gain control of the light, understand it, or eliminate it. It will not outlast the light. It might seem dark for right now in this hour, but what does it say in Isaiah 60? It says, arise and shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, even though the earth is covered in deep darkness. Where are you called to shine? In deep darkness. What is our light? He is the light of the world. And then he says, you are the light of the world. And then it says the whole earth will be carried, or sorry, the whole earth will be what? Covered with the knowledge of his glory. The light. He is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. What is the light? It is his glory. And he comes and he fills us. And how does the whole earth get filled with the knowledge of the glory of God? It's you and I connecting with the one who is light, being filled by the one who is light with the glory of God. And then we go out unafraid, unashamed, and we light up the darkness. You see, if we are lit, then it doesn't matter where we go because darkness cannot have a discussion with light. 
Wherever light is, darkness dissipates. It doesn't get to have even a but. No, you turn on the light and darkness is gone. There's no yaba. No, you turn on the light, you come in with light and darkness dissipates. First John 1 John 1.5 says God is pure light. It says you will never find even a trace of darkness in him. In James, I love this, it says James 1.17, it says every gift that God freely gives us is good and perfect, and it's streaming down from where? Does anybody know? It is streaming down all of those good gifts, all of them. They're, they're all good, and they're all perfect, and they're streaming down from the Father of lights. The Father of lights who shines from heaven, and, he has, and he's with no hidden shadow or darkness, and is never subject to change. Do you know what that means? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means in him there is no shadow. Do you understand that he is going to be the light of the new Jerusalem? He is the light of this world. He is the light. There is no sun. There is no moon in the new Jerusalem, in that city. He is the light. And there is no darkness within him. There is no, uh, no shadow or turning. He is pure light. You understand that when we get to heaven, when we step into the new Jerusalem, that you're not going to have a shadow. There's no darkness in heaven. He is the light. And I ask, I know that we sent the picnic over there. But let me just ask you this question. How many are we afraid of the dark? Right? Why? Because it's the unknown. We don't know what's in it. But David knew. David was not afraid because he knew, he knew that Yahweh was his revelation light and the source of his salvation. That's why he could run in unafraid. That's why in the midst of chaos, he could say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If I am in him, if I have him, then what can I be afraid of? What it is is this, is when you stand in the holy fear of God, there is no other fear that can hold you. None. You see, the holy fear of God swallows up all other fears. In Daniel 2, remember, um, remember Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, right? He has a dream, and he wants the interpretation of a dream. So he goes to all the wise, uh, the, the wise seers, and he's like, hey, can you, can you tell me the dream? He goes, wait, wait, wait. Uh, or can you tell me the interpretation? He says, wait, not just the interpretation. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they're like, dude, nobody can do that. Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar is like, I am putting out a decree that if you cannot, you're dead. As one of my wise men, you're out. Well, Daniel gets this, the word comes to Daniel, and this is Daniel's response. Are you ready? Daniel 2, verse 17. 
Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mish uh, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. And he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And this is what he said. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and all power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings, presidents, prime ministers, leaders, pastors, men, women. He will remove whoever he needs to remove and set up other kings. And he will give them wisdom. He will give wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Verse 22, he says this, he reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in the darkness. Whom shall I fear? Should we be afraid of the darkness only if we don't know the one who is light even in the darkness and knows what is hidden in the darkness. It says he reveals the deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. So it doesn't matter, wherever God goes, it could be the deepest, deepest darkness. It what becomes what? Light. Passion Translation actually says in that one, for he radiates glory light all around him. Ezekiel talks about, it talks about uh, the throne and it kind of depicts this picture of, of a man sitting on the throne and it says, I saw what looked like flames of fire giving off a brilliant light all around. The radiance of the light encircling the throne had every color of the rainbow like a day on a, of a, on a day of downpour. This was the appearance of the glory of Yahweh. This is the light that is going to be the light in the new Jerusalem. As it says in Revelation 21, 23, the city has no need for the sun or moon to shine, for the glory of God is its light, and it is the lamp, uh, the, its lamp is the lamb. Jesus will be the light. Amen? So Psalms 27, we got derailed by light, but light is so good. We have to understand who he is as the, as the revelation light and as the, as the source of our salvation. In Psalms 27, he starts out and he reads this, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so, so why should I be afraid? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? What you need to understand is David is declaring from a knowing, intimate relationship. He knows who his God is. It says in verse 2, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and they will fall. He's in the midst of war, and in the midst of that, he cries out, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And even though they're coming at me from every single direction, 
They will not touch me. They will stumble and they will fall. The, the Passion Translation says that even when the evil ones come to destroy me, they will be the ones that will turn around and go back. Do you want to know why? My opinion is because as they get closer, once you have stepped into the one who is light, once you have the holy fear of God, once you are consumed by that light and his glory, when the enemy comes forth, he cannot handle, penetrate, or come anywhere near the glory of God. And he will turn around knowing his defeat, and he will run. He will turn back. In verse 3, it says, Though a mighty army surrounds me, surrounds me, every side, right? Every side. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. I will not be shaken. How many of us get the phone call, have the situation, have the whatever's going on in life, and it hits us, and at first, we, it, we, all, we partner with fear a lot of times, if we're honest. But the reality is we have to find a way that even when news comes, when reports come, when armies come, that we are confident to stand, that we would not tremble. It says in, um, in Hebrews, it says... Uh, It says in Hebrews 12, 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. For our Lord God is a devouring fire. Let me read it to you in the, in the Passion Translation. It says now... Once and for all, uh, sorry, hold on. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart so that, we, so that as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is a holy, devouring fire. Some might hear that and, and be afraid of God. And they might be the ones that go, I don't know if I can do that. And they might be the ones that turn and run away. But I want to say to you, we need to come to a place where we know him in such intimacy. You see, the holy fear of God is not one that people, that makes you run away from God. But the pure holy fear of God is to draw us near to him. So that we become consumed by that holy fire so that everything that doesn't belong is burned away so that as every kingdom on this earth is shaking we do not shake because we are standing on the rock and because the fire has consumed everything that does not belong now we get to look through the fire like the fire of the eyes of the one who's redeemed us and we get to see the world in that way 
and we go out and we carry the glory in that way. We need to be the ones that will not be shaken. And here's the thing, just like the worship team saying, you want to know why, why David could start off his psalm that way in the midst of a war? Do you want to know why he's not afraid, why he's not trembling, why he's not turning back, why he's not even questioning? It's because of one thing. And it's in verse 4, and he says this, Here is my one thing. Look, you don't have to have a list of ten. If you could just make this your one thing, you're good. He says, here is my one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing that I seek the most. It says in the, in, uh, in, uh, the Passion Translation, he says, here's the one thing that I crave from Yahweh, the one thing that I seek above all else, and it's this. I want to live with him in every moment in his house. You see, when that report comes or that bad news comes, if I'm in him, I have an instant revelation. I have an instant wisdom. I have an instant uh, comfort. Do you understand? Because where am I receiving that? In him. Do you understand? If I am outside of him, I am outside of his covering. I am outside of his protection. I am out, do, do you understand? This is where the darts hit us. And we go, how could there be a God? It's because somewhere we stepped out of the covering. And the Lord is saying, and David is saying, this is my one thing. To live with him every moment in his house. You see, to live with him in every moment is to be surrounded. Remember the, he was surrounded on all sides by the, by the, by the, the enemy, right? But he's saying, I want to live with him in, the, in every moment in his house, fully surrounded, fully enveloped, completely surrounded by the presence of God and the encircling of his holiness. We live in a broken world. True? What is our goal? That the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of his world. This is our assignment. We are the ones taking back ground. We need to figure out and find our way in like David did and cry out, I want to live with you, Jesus. I want to live with you, Yahweh, in, in every moment of my life. Because this out here, until we take it all back for good, for his kingdom, causes pain, causes sorrow, breaks up marriages, tears apart family, hurts children. Do, do you see what I'm saying? There's lying, there's stealing, there's gnashing, there's all of that. But the, we, if we will find our way in and find a way to live in him in every moment in his house, 
We will be completely surrounded by his presence. And this is what David said. Why? I want to be in your house every moment, living every moment with you, beholding your beauty. You see, it's not just to be in the house. And I will promise you this, when you get into that spot and that position and you find yourself in his presence and you find his face, you will not be able to look to your left or to your right. He says, beholding the marvelous beauty of Yahweh. The word beauty can also be translated beholding his sweetness, his goodness, his loveliness, his splendor. Here's the crazy thing. Are you ready for this? You become what you behold. You become what you behold. So I ask you, I asked you at the beginning, where are David's eyes? Who is he looking at? What is he looking at? And he is becoming who he is beholding. But I want to ask us, where are our eyes? Who are we beholding? And I understand there is distractions, but we have got to ask him, Lord, if there's one thing I ask, teach me how to fix my focus on you. Teach me how to enter into your house and live every moment with you, in you, in your house, beholding your beauty. Because when that happens, it says this, he, he, it says, beholding the marvelous beauty of Yahweh, filled. Are you ready? When you behold him, you will be filled with awe, and you will be filled with awe, delighting in his glory and in his grace. I need you to understand that this place, this position, is the holy fear of God. How many have had a different picture of the holy fear of God, and it almost frightened you? I was actually listening to a worship leader this morning, and she's like reading out of Isaiah 6, and I love Isaiah 6. I absolutely love Isaiah 6. And Isaiah was caught up, and he saw the Lord, right, high and lifted up, and he saw the train of his robe, fill the temple, and then all of a sudden he realizes, woe is me, for I am a man with unclean lips, right? He realizes that he's in the presence of the one who is holy, and so every, every shadow, any thought, he's aware, even though he's just done six woe is me's towards Israel, his seventh is woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, just like them. It's this place of holiness in the holy fear of God that we stand and everything is exposed. But can I tell you, do not turn and run away. Do not be like the Israelites in, in Exodus 30, uh, I think it's 32 or 33, where Moses was meeting with, with God on the mountain and his voice was thundering, right? And they were down at the bottom and Moses came down and they're like, don't, no, we, you, you just talk to us. We don't want God to talk to us because we're afraid. Can you imagine being the people who said, I, we don't want to hear his voice? They were the ones that turned and ran away. You see, when Isaiah stood there 
and said, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. What happened next? A seraphim went to the altar and grabbed with the tongs a burning coal and came and cleansed the lips of Isaiah. What did Isaiah just say? I am a man of what? Unclean lips. And where did the seraphim touch? Right where his lips were. It was like the revelation, I am unclean, and then cleansed. Do you see what I'm saying? This is not a place to turn and run. This is a place to to run into and to draw near. If there's anything to be exposed, it's because restoration is right behind it. Healing is right behind it. The coal, the burning coal is coming to purify you. Purification is right behind it. And then the Lord says what? Whom shall I send? And what does Isaiah say? Send me. And I remember growing up in the church, and not only did the presence of God, the holiness of God, the cleansing of God fear people, but almost what feared them more was, what if he asked me to do something? Right? How many? The big joke was just, I'll go anywhere, Lord. This is what most Christians, in America, this is what most Christians would, this would be their prayer life. You can send me anywhere, Lord, just not Africa. I, I don't even know why. I'm thinking, why not? Have you been there? Right? But do you see the enemy comes in at every point and tries to get you to partner with fear, to turn around so that you are not cleansed, so that you are not purified, so that you will say, I don't want to hear his voice. The, the voice that is revelation and light and your salvation and wisdom. Do you see where the enemy comes in with fear? But if we will come in and step into intimacy with him, he will reveal himself to us in such a way that we will actually be wooed and drawn closer. And you will be thankful for the process of the purification. And when he says, whom shall I send? You're not afraid because you know who is sending you. Right? Because like in Exodus 33, when Moses said, I'm not going if you don't go. I am not going, Lord. I will go, but I will only go if you go. Because... The only way they will know that you are with me or that you are for me is if you are with me. He says, I am not going unless you go. And so it's in that place, in the, in the, in face to face with him. It's in that place where we step into reverential fear, the holy awe of God. I'm not afraid of him. I'm afraid to be a part from him. Do you see the difference? It's in that place you are filled with awe and you get to delight in his glory and his grace. Whom shall I fear? I will fear the Lord. Because as I fear him, 
I get to delight in his glory. I get to delight in his grace. David says, I want to contemplate in his temple, or I want to inquire, meditate, take pleasure in. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to seek his face. It says, in the day of trouble, he will treasure me in his shelter and under the cover of his tent. Let me ask you this. If you treasure something, what do you do with it? You protect it. It says, in the day of trouble, he will treasure me. He will treasure you. And he will treasure you in his shelter. Psalms 91, right? Under the shadow of his wings. But it says, under the cover of his tent, he, he, uh, he says, he will lift me high upon a rock. Who is the rock? Jesus. He will lift me high upon a rock. He also said this. Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And where is he going to put you? High up on a hill. Right? And he says, he will lift me up upon a rock out of reach from what? All my enemies who surround me. See, when you find your place standing in the holiness of God, the holy fear of God, the one thing I ask, Lord, is to live in every moment with you in your house. It's in that moment you are lifted up, you are, you are covered, you are sheltered, you are protected, and you are out of reach from all of your enemies who surround you. Because who is surrounding you? Yahweh. This is crazy. The next verse actually starts out with this in the Passion Translation. Triumphant now... I will bring him my offerings of praise. Where is David? You need to remember where he's at when he's writing this. He's in the middle of war. And what does he say? Because he knows who, who, the light of, uh, the, who, who is his light and who is the, uh, the source of his salvation. And he says, triumphant now. I am triumphant now. I know he is lifting me up. I know that I am surrounded, but I know that I am shielded from all of my enemies. And he says, triumphant now, I will bring him offerings of praise, singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, I will sing praises to Yahweh. He's in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the fight. I was with a beautiful daughter of the Lord last night. And doctors are trying to give her some doctor reports. And we both just started laughing and going, yeah, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, we're thankful for doctors. We are thankful for their gift. But if their report does not match his report, then I throw theirs out. David here has the report of war, but what comes out of his mouth is, I am triumphant right now. I know I have the victory because I know who is the leader of the angel armies. I know who is my general. I know who surrounds me. I know who lifts me up. He declares victory before the facts, and he celebrates, and he gives God praise in advance knowing 
God is the, the, my revelation light and the source of my salvation. He knows in advance that God will save and deliver him. If we're standing in that place, consumed by that holy fire, See, why would a, uh, uh, the, as it says, um, it says, uh, for our God is a holy devouring fire. Why would it be frightening to step into a fire that's going to remove everything and anything that torments me, hurts me, haunts me, bugs me? I want that fire. Because everything that remains is pure and holy and how many of us we know when we've stumbled we know when we failed and it haunts us the enemy is so quick to remind us of our failures but how sweet is it that we have an all-consuming fire that we can step into that burns all of that away to the place where it no longer has a, 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 a hook, a foot, a foothold, or a voice to torment. Amen? Verse 7 says this, Hear my cry, show me mercy, and send the help I need. I actually believe that this is not, I believe this is a, 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 a cry of confidence, not of desperation. We can read it both ways. You know, hear my cry, oh Lord, right? But does that match everything he said before? No. He's like, Lord, hear my cry and show me mercy and give me the help that I need because I know you are my source. I know you are my wisdom. And then he says in verse 8, because I have heard your voice. So... David cries out, hear my voice. And then verse 8, he says, I have heard your voice. And in my heart, I heard you say, come and seek my face. And my inner being responded, Yahweh, I am seeking your face with all of my heart. He heard the voice of God give the invitation, come and seek my face. Come and stand in my holy fear. Come and stand in my holiness. Let me surround you. Let me lift you up. Let me protect you, shield you, cover you. Let me encircle you with my holiness so the enemy cannot see you, find you, hit you, or take you out. And David said, I am coming, Lord. With all of my heart, I am seeking your face. Where do we see a promise if we seek God with all of our heart? It's in Jeremiah 29, 11. It actually says this in verse 13. If you look for me wholeheartedly, what? You will find me. He says in 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and I will restore your fortunes. If you seek after me with your whole heart, my God, what if that's not fun? What if that means I don't get to do this? What, all of the, the not fun and the what if it means this is out here, out, uh, you are out from underneath his cover, his protection. 
There is a wild, wild, wild adventure right here. You will do things you have never dreamt of doing before. You will do things you are incapable of doing without him. You see, right here is where you step into miracles, signs, and wonders. Right here is where you do the impossible because the, impo the one who does the impossible is doing it through you. Right here, you can see into hard situations and have the mind of Christ and know what to do in the situation. Out here, you're lost, you're confused, you're tormented. You're wondering why. Why does this keep happening? You're depressed, you're lonely, you're afraid. Right here, you stand on solid ground. You know his face. You know the fire in his eyes. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, and I will end your captivity. And I will restore your abundance. I will restore your fortunes. So in Psalms... Uh, 27, verse 9, he says, So don't turn your face away from me. You're the God of my salvation. How can you reject your servant in anger? That can be like, how, you're rejecting me, or how can you? You can't. How can you? How can you? You can't reject your servant because of who you are, because you're good, and because of your love for me. You will never reject me. Do you see how you can read that two ways? There's no way you can reject your servant because a servant has given their heart and yielded their heart to their master. There's no way that you can reject me. It says, after that it says, you have been my only hope, so don't forsake me now when I need you. My father and mother abandoned me, but you, Yahweh, took me in and made me yours. Some scholars say it's not necessarily saying that David was abandoned by his father or mother. And some of us have very much felt that. We live in a world right now where fathers are absent in the home. So abandonment wounds are incredibly huge all over the world, not just here. But what God is really saying is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And as much as a, a mother or a father loves a daughter or a son, my love is so much greater. It's just incomparable. It's as if the love and the, it's as if the pure love of a mother and father I don't know if I can say this. Nope. It just doesn't compare to his love. It just doesn't compare. And then David says, you took me in, right? Yahweh, Yahweh took me in. You took me in and made me yours. 
And this is David's cry at that point. Now teach me. You invited me in. I came running in with all of my heart. You've lifted me up. You've protected me. I have, I have declared I am triumphant. I have released songs and offerings of praise. And I'm here. And now will you teach me? I'm in this place. How beautiful to be in this place. You remember I'm surrounded, right? You, you have the picture. So I get to be taught in the intimacy and in the protection of Yahweh, in the, in the, in the surrounded by his holiness. He says, now teach me, Yahweh, all about your ways and tell me what to do. What does the Lord say in Isaiah? He said, my ways are what? My ways are higher than your ways. Right? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. David is crying out right here, teach me your ways. Teach me your thoughts. Jesus came and did what on the earth? Everything he heard the Father, uh, he spoke what he heard the Father say, and he did what he saw the Father doing. It's in this place David's saying, teach me. Teach me, Yahweh, about your ways. You see, Israelite, Israelite, Israel only knew the acts of God. They knew what he, they understood what he had done. They had been told the story. But they didn't know his ways. Because when we know his ways, you see how good they are. And you will walk in those ways. When you hear his thoughts over family members, over circumstances, over regions, nations, it will cast out any other thought you ever had for them when you hear his. His ways and his thoughts are higher, and he's saying, teach me your ways. Tell me what to do. Make it clear for me to understand, for I am surrounded by waiting enemies. This whole time, I'm triumphant, I'm praising, I'm lifted up, He's still here, but he still realizes what's here. So teach me. Make it clear for me to understand, because I am surrounded by waiting enemies. I love this. I kind of had a picture of this. You guys, have you ever seen like a, a balancing act or, you know, a tightrope or a balance beam? You know, there's, there's just like, it's like a thin line, right, that, that you walk. And I feel like here, here's the beautiful thing. Teach me your ways, O oh Lord. I think when, when we say, teach me your ways, O oh Lord, I don't know, do you think he wants to teach us his ways? And do you think if he wants to teach us his ways, he's going to give us the ability to walk in his ways? I, I want to suggest to you this. There's a story. I don't know if I have time. No. Okay. Uh, Imagine his ways as the tightrope. And you're up, and the rope is from one high rise to the other. But your eyes are fixed on Jesus. He is the one telling you, just step right, yep, right there, right there, uh -huh, right there, yep, 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 yep. All right, come. And then you get so, you start trusting him. You become so familiar with his voice. You are now hopping, skipping, jumping, leaping, flipping over on this on this tight wire, because you know the voice that's calling you, the one that's directing you, and you know you are walking in his ways. 
All the while, on both sides of you, this, the enemy is still waiting. It says that the, that the, that the, um, it says that uh, Satan is like, 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 not, but like a roaring lion. He's a counterfeit, right? He's like a roaring lion waiting, um, uh, and he wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right? And he's waiting to pounce on you. And that's what the enemy is waiting on the outside, just waiting for you to stick one arm out of that cover. He's waiting for you to step out and think, oh, I got this. Step out of that cover. He's waiting there, and he's waiting to pounce on you and to take you out. That's his only assignment, is to kill, steal, and destroy you, your children, your family, your nation, because you are God's kids. Nations are families. Everything God came for was his family, his kids, to get them back. And the enemy is lying in wait all around you for you just to step outside of that cover. But if you just stay right here and you say, teach me your ways, you could backflip, you could walk, you could twirl, you could dance, you could do all this, and you, you will stay on that tightrope, and there is not one enemy that is wait, that's lying in wait that can reach you or touch you because you are purposed to walk in his ways. Whew. Verse 12 says, don't let them defeat me, Lord. You can't let me fail into, fall into their clutches. They keep accusing me of all these things that I've never done, breathing out uh, violence against me. I want you to imagine, if you're here, if you're completely surrounded by him, you're, you're not going to hear that, right, unless you turn and pay attention, right? So he's aware of who's out there, but really the protection and the focus is right here and his face. And, and then he says in verse 13, he said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed, unless it was in believing with all of his heart that he would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So in the midst of battle, David's number one was his face, was being surrounded by his presence, knowing his ways, hiding himself in the one who is light and beholding him. It was here that David is filled with awe, delighting in his glory and his grace. And it's in the waiting that David declared who God was and declared triumph, and he worshiped the God of his salvation for his faithfulness and victory. In verse 14, to finish out, it says this, here is what I have learned through all of this. Don't give up, don't be impatient, be entwined as one with the Lord, be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will not disappoint you. I don't know how many of us are in a waiting period. I would probably assume all of us, for one thing or another, we are in a waiting. But he's saying, the psalmist is saying, do not give up, do not become impatient. He wants you to become entwined, 
That word wait actually means to wait upon the Lord. It means to tie together by twisting, by entwining, and to wrap tightly. It's a beautiful picture of waiting on the Lord, not passively like, <laughs> I wonder when he's going to do it for me. But it's pressing in um, and, and just fixing your eyes on his beauty, on his majesty, and locking yourself into that place, and you're waiting. You're tying and twisting yourself uh, together. You're entwining your heart with his. See, the waiting is what's preparing you for the breakthrough. If you do not entwine yourself with him in the waiting, the breakthrough will crush you. Isaiah 40 Verse 31 says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles and they shall run, they shall not grow weary, they shall walk and they shall not faint. See, whatever waiting you are in, entwine your heart with his. In that waiting, he is strengthening you. In that waiting, maybe you haven't flown before, yet soared before. In that waiting, he is going to make you strengthen muscles you never knew that you had so that in that breakthrough, when it comes and he kicks you off that ledge as a mother eagle does, you will be able to fly. And not only will you be able to fly, but he will swoop in with you and you will soar on wings like eagles with him. Remember, he will lift you up and you will soar on wings like eagles. Amen? Makas, are we able to play that? I won't play the whole song. But I want to play a worship song right now that's called Wait on the Lord. And just like I challenged us last week in worship, I want you to process Psalms 27 with him. I want you to hear his cry to you saying, Come. Come and seek my face. And I want you to respond to him. I'm coming, Lord. I'm coming. With all of my heart, I am coming. And then I want you to find your, yourself in this space, whatever that looks like for you, in the space of holy fear, in the space of holiness, in the space where you are strengthened, where you are built up, where you are lifted up, where you are protected, where it doesn't matter what enemy fully surrounds you because he has surrounded you. Amen? So I want us to worship him together corporately on this one last song, and then we'll close.